This is Alex and welcome to another episode of Beyond Best podcast. In today's episode, you're going to meet Mirna. She is an interpersonal skills trainer and a coach specializing in positive psychology training. She's the founder of Happiness Academy and Trainers Toolbox. She has a master's in electrical engineering and computing, as well as a master's degree in positive psychology from Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge. She joined BEST in 2006 and she has extensive experience working for a big corporation, Cisco, and starting her own business. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Tell us about yourself. Where are you from? And what did you study and what do you do currently? Cool. So first thing you usually learn about me, it's a trap. And it's my name. Mirna in Croatian means peaceful, calm and quiet. It has nothing to do with my character. Um, I'm Croatian, obviously. You guys know that already. Um, Born and raised in Zagreb, but then last... 12 years or so spent mostly traveling, like maybe 70-80% of the time, which of course is Best's fault for inception. I mean, you mean since a kid or no? No, since, since now, since the last 12 years. So ah, 12 years, eight, okay, so Best. Nine, something like that, yeah. yeah. After graduating, I worked most of the time in fairly virtual way, so I kind of used that and spent time around everywhere. So mm-hmm. in the last, how many months? Five months, I'm landed at a home with uh, the whole corona mess uh, and it's really interesting to rediscover my city and routines and just be in the homey mode and change a little bit uh, so i'm very in love with croatian seaside i tend to spend a lot of time there as well but i'm originally from zagreb uh, i studied electrical engineering and computing originally i graduated in zagreb but then later i also uh, went to graduate from applied positive psychology which was master's in Cambridge official, or partially distance, partially in Cambridge. So right now that indicates already, I did a bit of a switch from engineering. I worked for 10 years in Cisco as an engineer in, in IT, well, networks. Uh, and mm-hmm. at, at the same time, I was always stayed hooked on trainings, did a lot of projects with trainings within my job, next to my job with different NGOs, kind of uh, tracing these uh, still from best times. Um, and these days I'm fully focused on training and I work with training in positive psychology with Happiness Academy, which is like my baby project and then trainers toolbox. So like training for trainers and different tools and techniques and methods for trainers. So a bit of a mix in that in terms of career and uh, history, let's say. Mm-hmm. And what you're actually saying is quite interesting because you graduated as engineer you work as an engineer, but then you totally shift your focus from engineering to entrepreneur. And this will be something that we can talk a little bit later throughout the interview. For that, you mentioned as well that you studied in Zagreb. Was this the time you found about BEST? How did you found about it? Can you tell us the story how you joined BEST? Oh my God, do I remember that story? I hope I do. I don't know, it was some random, you know, pitch or advertising promotion <laughs> on something like that. And I decided to apply for one of the courses because I wanted to travel a bit like everyone and ended up in Hanya, 
which I think was an uh, entry point for Paradise. <laughs> exactly. So yes. when I went to Hanya for, I think it was spring course, it was like March, I remember it was super humid and kind of coldish and amazing, really, really cool event. And mm -hmm. I think many, many people from that event joined their local best groups after. So when I got back to Zagreb, I decided to go for a meeting and to probably join best just because I really enjoyed the course. Uh, and finally, that was one month before GA was in Croatia. Um, so I kind of jumped straight into the action and actually got some very interesting tasks, even like kind of high responsibility tasks for a new person on, on uh, upcoming GA. And I had a chance to really figure out a lot and spy a lot on everything cool that happens in Best. Uh, so that kind of got me very eager on it and interested. And then later I stayed mainly um, doing HR in local board, doing a lot of trainings. I was main organizer of one course. So my time in best officially was maybe like two years, even a little bit less because mm -hmm. I joined a bit late in my studies. Uh, but then I was like super active, had parallel board and project <laughs> main organizer and stuff like that. And when was that? That was, uh, so I graduated in 2007, so that, when, when was GA in, in Zagreb? Now I'm uh, in Rabat. I'm not supposed to say, I don't remember, but I think 2006 or 5, was it? 5 or 6? Okay. We One need to those. go to private area and to, to check it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this should yeah, be in our... Have our private area open. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Edu? Famous uh, GA in Hanya. Okay, GA Zagreb. Okay. That is important information. It is in 2006. Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Five was the one in Hanya that was talked about a lot, but I haven't been bested in yet. And then six was Agrivia. Yeah. yeah. And the second paradise, which was in 12 or something, yeah. the second J paradise. Yeah. It's interesting that you joined in best, best for, by first going to a course. Like, yeah. But a lot of people that I know, they, 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 they've been kind of the other way around. They met because they had a friend or in common or something. So I, maybe we can even step back further. I mean, how did you learn about this course and how did you like decide to apply? Because I mean, I don't I know. I have, have no idea. I think it was one of these random decisions in life that has a very long-term consequences. It was not through friend. I didn't have any friends who were member of BEST before I joined. So it was not through friend. It, I think it was through some sort of promotion. I came across some of the presentations on the uni or something like that. Okay. But I, at that moment, I don't remember. I only remember moments since coming to or traveling to Hanya. Uh, not so much what happened before that. Funnily. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, okay. So that's cool. So first experience in the course. Okay. And 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 how was the course? Like, is it what like what? What was so interesting in that course that made you stick around? You know what I think it might have been? I think it might have been also the mix of people, like participants. Uh, I think they had so many applications for this course, like, I don't know, 300, 400, maybe more. So I think that they picked quite an interesting mix of people. And then just the guys from the LDG there, they were so cool. I think for many of them, it was kind of the last so active year in best and they really wanted to kind of savor it and do something cool with it so just the whole atmosphere was really really cool there were a lot of nice events and as well and we saw a lot of crete and you know we had it was also interesting course it was with programming you know the robot dogs oh yeah yeah oh my god you have a robot dog that, that, the, which one that the one from lego or what no. no, it was it was was it it was, it was called something with A. It was like first thing of a kind. It was like little dog, size of a dog, 
but was a robot and you could program it to swim and run and play football and kind of stuff like that. Okay. So also the theme was interesting and it was one of the reasons why I applied, but then in the end that went into the background. <laughs> yeah. But just, I don't know, the groups of people, the vibe, you know, the, the, it was spring there, so it was not very busy, but it, still, it was like a lot going on and, you know, the magical Greek background and then just, um, I think also the, the, yeah, and finally, most of the guys who were there in LGBT, who were all very experienced and there for a long time, most of them were not from Crete, actually, right? So uh -huh. they were really also there, kind of, some of them for the last year, and I think they really felt like they want to create something special, and they really did. Cool. You mentioned before about BEST that you were two years in the organization as well. You were studying in Technical University and I wonder how being a member of uh, the organization changed your life, kind of uh, personal and professional yeah. and what opportunities were open to you, something that maybe you never considered before. It definitely changed some things for me. So I had also really nice time just being part of the organization. And just enjoying, you know, organizing things and hanging around with people, meeting people. There is a lot of still friendships that still exist for me that started from there. But if I look at kind of more consequences on my life, not just in terms of friendships, but more impact it had on me, it's really two things. And one is it opened up those doors of travel and travel as a lifestyle. And the second one was that it opened that those doors towards training. And I can dive in a little bit deeper if either or both of these if you want. I'm not sure which direction uh, is more interesting, maybe. I, I think we have it, we have it we for have, a further question. Yeah, we, <laughs> kinda, we, kinda, we can talk maybe about both. So, mm -hmm. so you said training and, and, tra and traveling. Just on the traveling topic, before we dive into the training, because I guess we'll be going in a lot of the specifics on the training, because you know it's kind of the major thing that you do today, I understand. Were you a traveling person before joining BEST or really oh, BEST got you to into your traveling mood? So BEST opened a lot of a door in that sense for me, primarily in a way that, so when I was still in high school, I, I was very kind of local oriented in my thinking, meaning like Croatia is not very international, it's very Croatian place, today people travel. <laughs> Croatian <laughs> place. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's not very, you know, not many people living here who are not Croatian and it's not very international environment in a way. Okay. So as such, and people didn't travel as much then. Now they're traveling more and more, but still less than some other countries, for example, in Europe. So mm -hmm. in that sense, while I was still in high school, I was quite I was quite active in sports. I used to train judo quite seriously, like four or five times a week throughout oh. the high school and beginning of uni. And I was kind of like, you know, my life was very local in a way. And then with start of university, I started doing a lot of new new things, like different new sports, met different people. I was still far from best. Huh? Best happened three, four years later. Mm -hmm. uh, but kind of many things opened up for me and I started growing in many new directions and that was pretty cool and definitely opened my appetite for travel. But in a way, that was not so easy, mainly because it kind of made sense. Like I would go every summer for some long, extensive trip, like a month or month and a half, like interrail or maybe four or five of us friends in a car and then road tripping all over Europe and stuff like that. But it was more kind of once in a, in a year thing and then sometimes occasional weekend. And it always kind of depended who else will I get into it. And, you know, okay. I was always kind of organizing that and pulling friends into that. 
and then yeah <laughs> yeah and then that's opened it in a way that it became like that you belong everywhere and that you can go everywhere and that you can go on your own and who cares and you don't need to have this you know setting of a group or something like that um so mm. that, that's what already hanya opened up a little bit but then also best in general really opened this mindset hey it's up to me where i want to go and what i want to do and where i want to live and so it really changed my mindset in that sense that things became much more natural in terms of traveling much more part, integral part of my life while before there were this special adventure you know um in a way and you also and you also had the context with people around and all that right yeah and kind of felt a bit maybe more at home and so on but then from then that that grew and escalated in many other directions because i moved then with my company to amsterdam and then just kind of continued developing also that international network also through work and many other ways so it kind of grew broader than best in a way for me but best was definitely like the initial you know it's starting the, yeah. yeah also like planting the seed of this idea that this can be a lifestyle in a way so, by the way so so where are you where are you these days you're in croatia or, yes. or where yes okay. i'm in croatia so i like i lived in amsterdam for three years between 2008 and 2011 then i moved to croatia mid 2011 but when i moved there also in my work sort of freedom of location opened up so i was using that a lot I said I'll do it for two, three years. I ended up doing it until half a year ago. <laughs> kind of just traveling a lot, spending time in different places, connecting with people, doing projects, and then touch basing in Croatia often, but not really like being so rooted here. But now I'm rethinking that a little bit and I don't know what I want out of it. So <laughs> it's a bit different. It's a bit of a change these days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder how. I wonder. No, okay. Meaning of this place, you know, the dream place for me is this uh, small house with the big green stuff around next to the sea, like a lot of sea, isolated island, not many people, and just next to the airport. <laughs> That's like, uh, yeah. That's like my dream too. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll be your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, I kind of want to move a couple of, you know, close friends to the island. So, well, not the island, I didn't choose specific yet, although I have some ideas. So there's few normal people on the island, but not very crowded, you know? So if you're up for it, definitely you need to talk. <laughs> I'm joining immediately. <laughs> Sounds fun. The other question that we would like to ask you as well, you mentioned that you have so many adventures and you travel a lot. You mentioned one adventure that you already had even before joining BEST or because of that adventure you joined BEST. I just wonder, is there another one that comes to you, like some vivid memory uh-huh, of BEST for these two years? In, in yeah, the, like... Like, uh, I don't know, like some adventure story, some something that, you know, may, maybe a funny story that, that you would like to share, like that brought you and made you really stick around in best, something like that. Sure, we can, we can, we can call this adventure. I'm not sure it's an adventure. I, I saw best always more for, for me as this cozy place and curious place than very adventurous place. I didn't see that something that's so much out of the comfort zone and so on. But there was, of course, some interesting events. And I can share one. Although I wouldn't say that one made me stick around. They stick around already. <laughs> but oh, there was one, one evening that I remember like forever with this mixed feelings of this weird stuff and then really cool evening in the end. And that was on the spring course. I told you I was main organizer of one spring course. 
in, in, in Zagreb, right? In Croatia. No, not in Zagreb, in one of the islands, obviously. <laughs> Is it cold said that? No, but 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 this, but like, is like LGBT. No, I mean, I what to what to understand? Is it LGBT Zagreb? I mean, uh... yeah, it was LGBT Zagreb, but it was on an island that's four hours away from Zagreb. Okay. And it was designed as this cross-organizational course that was about underwater research. Wow. So the participants got the chance to do diving, which I, I do diving and I did it then already. So that was like a big thing for me to connect these two things. Mm. And then also they had a bit of like playing with underwater robots and learning about underwater archaeology and some boat making and stuff like that. It was a really nice mix of things. And it was a little bit strange because we, we made it cross-organizational. So we were kind of limited in fundraising. So uh, the, the place was like the place to stay and food or part of the food were paid uh, by, by sponsors, but we were not allowed to fundraise out of that for money sponsorship, right? So we had really beautiful hotel paid, but we didn't have little stuff like, you know, extracurricular activities, alcohol, blah, blah, blah. So we were fundraising for that. And the fundraising team did a really amazing job. Everybody were really, really motivated. And they fundraised like ton of drinks, snacks, nice food, typical Croatian food, including like huge amount of beer and different drinks. And we transported all of that to the, to the seaside place with my car. At that time, I had this really, really old and bad car that luckily endured four hours to the island. And we, we, we took it there and we got from a hotel one special kind of small room, like a storage room where we put all the drinks and we were ready like for the, you know, the opening night. And then finally, before the opening night, everybody came from Zagreb to the island and they were all like wired and just like meeting other people and everybody were in the mood and the hotel had like outside pool. It was like the perfect, we were there alone. It was like perfect parting scenario. And then the guy from the hotel uh, didn't really get something uh, from our communication and he locked the storage with the drinks and he went home to sleep. <laughs> and we were, me and one of the other guys who were kind of most active from all the organizers with me. And he was really throughout everything with me, really sharing all the pain and fun of it. Uh, we were like cool. figuring it out the whole evening how to get the booze out and we were you know practically mixed between saving and stealing our own drinks <laughs> from <What>? the yeah, like ninjing and breaking in and you know finding and all this stuff and this took like maybe an hour and i'm like really not person into any dodgy illegal stuff i'm like this super you know <laughs> very well behaved right? <laughs> so it's a little bit like so stretch and we did that for maybe an hour and nobody knew anything about it. Not the other organizers, not the other organizations, not the participants. We really like kept it uh, between us. And then yeah. we saved it, saved the booze, luckily. And the party started, <laughs> everything went really, really well. And we were like, yes, this, this was so worth it. And then it was like, okay, now we can forget, you know, this event and this evening. And then this friend of mine who was uh, with me in it, yeah. uh, started like kind of in a very celebratory mood, opening the beers for others and so on. And he tried to open a beer with my car key and he broke it. No, <laughs> that's that horrible. The car we had on like a remote island. Um, and the only way of, you know, organizing anything and taking care of stuff and so on. So that was like this, you know, imagine the situation where you have, like have this big hurdle 
and you tackle it successfully and you're all excited and triumphant, you know, like, yeah, we've done it. And then you see that broken key. Just imagine the face. <laughs> it was totally priceless. But then we, we, we managed also to fix it the next day. But that evening just stayed as this very mix of, yeah, how things can go like super wrong in random ways. And then they can still work out in a cool way if you like manage to not get pissed off about them <laughs> and not go crazy. So then what? You fix the key or, or you kind of yeah. had to make around with your car? Yeah, we had to go the next day, like the, the, the next day we had to go to another village, which is like an hour and a half drive. But we were kind of lucky because that same evening, a, a couple of alumni came for the party and they came by car. So they could drop us next day to fix the key uh, and then okay. bring us back. So the dinosaurs that, saved the day. Yeah, it, it kind of worked out. Yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was like that in the moment when it happened, we didn't see it will work out, you know. <laughs> but we were like, yeah. Nothing's gonna ruin this evening. We'll think about that tomorrow, you know. Yeah, so it was a good uh, practice for releasing the control freak side of, you know, organizing things and so on. And, and be resilient, I guess, as well, you know, like... Yeah, a little bit. A little bit? Okay. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. I really like the story, actually. It's, it's yeah. quite, quite nice because it really shows that as you mentioned, that you might go with some expectations, everything to be under control, and then suddenly you have thing on your feet, and as well, you have a little bit of faith that things are going to turn out well. So that, that's always important to keep the team spirit, even if you want to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I guess flexibility. Then I mean, probably that's that's the that's probably the lesson that you that you got from there, right? Or no, I'm like... actually now thinking, you know, what was the main lesson? That you can have fun when shit happens. <laughs> anyway, you know? And that's something I really like to live today a lot as well. But then I wasn't there yet. Then I was more controlled. You can have fun when shit happens. That, okay. That, 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 I, I, I retain that quote. Uh, you can have fun when shit happens. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Or regardless of the fact that shit happens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, that's, that's a good one. You've been in best team for two years. And you mentioned a lot of those stories. So if you go back and you're a volunteer again in best and what would you be different what advice actually you would give to yourself for me maybe the main thing is and to be honest i would give the same advice about life but i think it applies to best as well uh -huh. and this this balance having this balance between being intentional yet open if you know what i mean so kind of you know figure out what do you like what are you interested in uh, follow that do something about that if something appeals to you like for me it was training then really pursue it learn more about it be really engaged give your time give your energy into it but then at the same time this side of being curious and open also about things that are not necessarily just your first interest about people about projects and just kind of exploring a bit looking for those interests exposing ourselves to different experiences because i think one of the best thing that best can give us is just this opening of new like I said, new doors in a way towards new experiences or towards just something you never thought of before. And maybe we didn't even know we like in some way, or we didn't know it exists in a way. So for me, it's really a lot about that being ready to be open and do something even when you don't know what you want to do. But then at the same time, when you figure out what's more important for you and what you like most to really stay with that and pursue it and invest energy and time in that kind of appreciate that passion or excitement about things in a way. Does that make mm -hmm. sense or was it fuzzy? <laughs> Basically, you can do quite a lot 
you can always see like which part of being man organizer I like or which part of being responsible for something I like. And then you can always transfer it to real skills in, in a professional environment. And then you can actually know what you like or what you don't like as a student. So it gives you some head start. Maybe, maybe just to like, maybe, you know, how do you, how do you be, how can you be intentional with things? You know, is it, is it about feeling? Is it about like what? For, for me, it's awareness. Like when you do something, notice if that was exciting and if you enjoyed it. And if you're curious about something, notice you're curious. And then if you were involved in some part of the project and you were terribly bored, notice that as well and <laughs> get away from that, you know? Uh, so in a way, I think we shouldn't judge things as boring before we do them, especially before we do a lot of things in life anyway. But then at the same time, once you recognize something does not inspire you and something gives you, like you're saying, maybe a good feeling or maybe a good energy, uh, like the high energy or involved in it, you're curious about it. Mm -hmm. Then I think that's something that's, that shouldn't be let go easily. I think that's really the, the fiber of life, what makes us feel alive to do things that excite us with people who are in some way inspiring, unpleasant or curious to us. So I think that's something that is pity to... You know, I think it would be pity to come into the organization and then just kind of go around and be dropped from side to side randomly. Uh, I think it makes a lot of sense to follow experiences as we build them and recognize from them what was it for me that was important, what was it for me that sparked something in me in some way. Um, so it's more for me, it's a lot about this awareness as we go through different experiences to enter experience openly, but then also recognize what happened within that experience and what is that teaching me about what I want next in a way, right? Okay. Okay. Maybe if, if I can just go a little bit, I like how you said intentional and I was really into IT. I mean, I really knew what I want to be part of. And of course, I was main organizer of events and so on, but I knew what my intention, my focus would be for the most of the time or for the majority of the time. So I just wonder when you join, when was the time that you get this intention? Okay, this is what I really love to do and I'm going to pursue it. You know, for me, it came really easy because of the specific moment when I joined and well, you need to know a bit of a background there, <laughs> though. Uh, mm. When I was in high school, I was going to study psychology. And then I decided not to study psychology because I really didn't like how jobs at that time in psychology looked like. I didn't like the outlook of the university. I didn't like the mindset of people on the university. And then I went to engineering, not as much because of the content of it, but really because of the mindset. It was one of the toughest universities. It was very structured, very driven. Um, very practical, very logical, and I loved the environment of it and the, the mindset of professors and the mindset of people. And I still feel kind of best and most comfortable in environment with a lot of engineers in a way. Um, so, but still that, that theme of psychology and self-development always stayed with me as very important. So when I encountered trainers, I encountered them in best already very early as I joined just before GA. So there were some of the uh, international board meetings before, which I was present uh, for because I was kind of, um, let's say, babysitting the location <laughs> before the event as the opening was in Zagreb and the location was somewhere else. Uh, so I got, got a bit exposure there and then I got really quickly clarity of different committees and different directions. 
and I knew my passion for self-development and psychology and so on. Mm-hmm. And in a way, trainings were everything that psychology was supposed to be, but wasn't all these years before. <laughs> so it's kind of funny because it's this loop also that you think you want something, but then you, you recognize some way it doesn't feel right for you. And then in the end, through different loops, you end up on that same way in a totally different way, right? Oh, that's cool. That's so cool. Yeah, that that you had this passion for psychology, and then you recognize that the training would bring you that, and that's so cool. Maybe maybe then we can we can start jumping into the specifics of training. Now that it, given that is your passion and everything, maybe you can tell us how did you start, you know, delivering training sessions. How did you how did you how did the process go for you from like identifying that to actually you know become a trainer and doing that for your life and work today yeah so that's a messy story and a long story i'll, I'll keep it short <laughs> so i when i joined i i also ended up in hr really fast of the of the local um board and i immediately of course we had a lot of to do, to do with trainings and also also delivering trainings but also just organizing and thinking what do people need and what do we need to develop and so on so i got exposure to that first from that side what is the role of training in organization and so on and so on and then i i joined tigro obviously but then i was not never really active in it i was always kind of stayed not as in, as involved because i was so involved in board and pro and managing the the like main organizer of the project Uh, so in a way, I, I did some local trainings in Best, and we did some local TTT type of a thing that was a couple of days long, but I never actually went for trap uh, because when I was uh, in HR, you can always nominate two people for trap as HR boardie, and I had two much younger members who would stay in the organization much longer, and and I d- could not nominate myself; it would make no sense. But instead, we nominated them. Uh, so I never went to trap with invest. So with invest, I was always this more like local level uh, and just working with some local topics. But then at the same time, before I graduated, I went to professional TTT in Zagreb, which was the first um, training of a kind existing in Zagreb. It was one year long, but like three days a month. So, but stretching over a year, and it was something I never heard of before, but learned through best. So I finished that, but then I continued delivering a lot in Best. Sometimes in Zagreb for for local groups. Sometimes also as I moved in Amsterdam, uh, I was delivering a bit for Eindhoven, and then later for Delft, and and mixing a bit and like uh, Lowlands regional meeting or stuff like that. And then from that it grew to cross of NGOs, so towards like leadership summer school, um, youth trainers academy, and all of this. So I was just doing a lot of things. Also cross organizations and also within my company, I, we had very young teams always coming in. So there was a chance, even while we were still fairly young, to do a lot of mentorship and training within the company. So I was quite mixing between these environments and maybe taking notes of some differences between NGO and corporate and also mm-hmm. some similarities and just playing with that. So in Best, although I discovered training in Best and I fell in love with it through that discovery. You can't really say that I was like very active as a best trainer. No, no, no. But I mean, okay. So you le- you discovered the training yeah. like idea through best because because mm-hmm. best has all that structure and all that you know that very strong training tigre stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, but you did like the first training session that you did was through this uh, professional TTT that you mentioned in, in Croatia, really? Well, I was also doing some in, in Zagreb in LBG before, but they were not really like official best trainings, but more like knowledge transfers, you know, board to board transfer, this kind of thing. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, that's, that's fine. So, so, yeah, so you kind of so let's say that you uh, not there. Are, I mean, I, I met a lot of people that became trainers or that are doing the professional life in training that actually been through this process through best, but it's not your case, really. You, you, no, not so much. Yeah, I, I kind of diverged early <laughs> in my own direction. Diverged. Yeah, okay, I like it. Yeah, I think the mix of perspectives is always a good thing. Of course, yeah. um, I think you kind of cover more blind spots that way sometimes, and and so I like that part. I, I kind of uh, a bit of me is always like, oh, I wish I had longer time in best because uh, when I graduated, which was around the same time that I finished with the year of HR and a bit after that that uh, spring course, uh, mm. probably my next really strong focus would be to be active in Tigro. Um, but that the timing just didn't work out, right? And then at that time, I moved to Amsterdam. I graduated from the TTT, moved to Amsterdam, and had a lot of opportunities there within my work to do some different stuff and experience. But you're you're mentioning a company, so it it is because was that already in your own company or or no no no? I worked. I said, work? I said the, no, no. I said at the beginning, I worked for ten years, exactly ten years to a day. <laughs> no, to a day. Wow, today. <laughs> no, the day when I left. Uh, the, oh, the day when you I left yeah. one week after my 10-year anniversary. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Uh, yeah, I you, what, what, what does it do? You're waiting for the 10th anniversary to, to, to say, to, to go to, to go out or what? <laughs> I was much earlier because I wanted to move into training, but there were so many things I loved about that work in that company. Well, and, but I wanted to move toward training because it always felt a little bit like, you know, multitasking between two tracks really intensely for 10 years. Mm. And at one point I was like, I'm getting old. I don't want to do shit on this space anymore, you know. <laughs> but were you doing training on, on Cisco or, or, or you no, no, just no, no, outside? No. I, uh... Sometimes as well. So I worked in Cisco officially. Well, I changed a couple of positions, but for big majority of time, I worked as sort of a pre-sales engineer in a virtual role. Mm. which main uh, focus was to be really, really deep into expertise in very specific technology, which was very new technology at the time I started doing it. So I was in a very small team that was first one to learn about that technology and get trainings and so on. And our job in a way was to be available um, to to rest of the world, basically, to get engaged on that technology when that expertise would be needed. Um, so that, that was jumping from very small engagements in different projects to bigger engagements. And it was jumping from more technical side, all the more PowerPoint technical, you know, explaining technology, not implementing as much, uh, to, to sometimes explaining it more on the business level or integrating it like with business needs. So it was just a lot of different, in a way, it's quite close to training because you have to think of, you know, with user in mind and kind of explaining things in different levels. And at the same time, it's so much learning. Like if I would go for a vacation of two weeks, I would need to spend a week <laughs> studying what did I miss, what changed in these two weeks <laughs> before I could work. Uh, so it was very intense learning curve initially. Uh, and my team was very junior. So we, first we had the year of only training, only getting education for a year. Uh, our first year on the job. And then after that, we ended up in a team that was very junior, but in a position 
where we were first one to massive technology, nobody in the company knew. So that put us in a very senior position in a sense that very senior people would come to ask our help. And then that also pushed the learning curve a lot and the curve of facilitating with the team. And that was up to us, how are we gonna do it? Uh, how are we dealing with this, you know, learning curve and the sort of a pressure, but we were also very, very close team. So that was really, really good environment. And, um, so that's how it started. And then later the team grew insanely. Like initially we were around 20, by the time I left, we were around 400 globally. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and always as new people were coming in, there were a lot of opportunities to train them, including on technical skills, but also on skills related to, you know, communication on very different levels, approaching work, even stuff like maybe time management or emotional intelligence in IT, always a good topic, <laughs> I must say. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So in, in that way, it was always a lot of like, it was never part of my official role, but we had quite some space. To, to work on side projects that were related to development of the team or the knowledge base and stuff like that. So it was a really nice playground because in a way it was no pressure, no metrics to it and so on, but a lot of like people who actually need what you want to do and um, in that way it was quite a good place and really good company culture. So I really enjoyed um, working there. Plus freedom of location, ha, <laughs> the, big, the big, big, big part of it. Okay, uh, so nice. my plan was to stay in Cisco like four or five years and then I got stuck for 10, not because of anything else, but because I was like, oh, this is such a good year. I don't want to leave just yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. nice. so, but, so you were doing, so we were doing, you're kind of doing training in Cisco, but really more, more doing training outside, like as you said, in, in uh, the leadership summer school and things like yeah. that. Yeah, a bit of both. Yeah, I was doing like this freedom of location bit allowed me also to do a lot of events with not that many vacation days. Um, so in that day, I, I, I think I did like I've been trained around three different leadership summer schools and on two youth trainers academies, all of it between, I don't know, between 2011 and 2014 or something like that, 14, 15. And then from 2014, 15, I diverged more into my own direction with, with happiness academy and positive psychology. Um, and these directions. Mm -hmm. Actually, for me, this is something uh, very interesting what you mentioned about uh, combining work and your side hustle. And um, before we continue with other questions, I just am wondering Sorry. what is what is your, let's say, typical week when you have your, like your day job and you want to deliver training sessions? Do you have it like a, delivering one session aside or do you do it like in a month you have to, you usually deliver two, three sessions. What would you consider to be the average week or the average month for someone who wants to shift and become a full-time trainer as you over time? You mean like what was my average week like 10 That years you dedicated for training sessions. Or now when I'm doing just that. In the past, in the past, uh, in so the past. because you have your own uh, position in Cisco, and but you still okay. see yourself as a trainer in the future. So I, I assume that you already had uh, delivered some regular sessions aside. Yeah. Uh, like... So it was it was really a mix. Like it was not like nothing about my life is a is a routine, which is crazy because I actually like routine. Uh, so I, I couldn't say there was an average week, but what would happen, I would usually do 
at least two bigger projects per year. So like being trainer on leadership summer schools and a new trainer kind of in the same year. So that's two times like a week long event or 10 days event. And then I would do a lot of events out of that, which would be like evening workshops, um, wherever I would be because I was changing locations a lot. And then also like weekends, if I would go to something like regional meetings still at the beginning or something like that. And then also within the company, I would do trainings. And th again, that was not weekly. Sometimes there would be nothing for months. And then in another month, you would do five sessions. So it's really like, not, there is not much regularity to it. And I don't think that's maybe even the crucial. I think you want to get some number of hours done, but I think it's more about focus on what are your experiences and what are your skills in it, especially are your experiences diverse enough? <laughs> Have you been through enough of weird situations in training <laughs> that you can feel <laughs> confident in it? You know what I mean? I hear Yeah, you. yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's a knowing laugh. <laughs> It's really not about, you know, knowing one thing and then re-delivering that 10 times, but it's kind of really about also playing a little bit and exploring and putting yourself in new situations and connecting in different ways. For me, what was really, really valuable was this, exactly this balance between working in corporate and delivering a lot in corporate and having this mindset of business and profit and what, what, what does the team need and why are we doing training mm -hmm. versus NGO where everybody is just in love with it and we do it for sake of it. And <laughs> there is not like business outcome to it. And for me, I love that because I, I love both. I, I'm, I don't want to be like, I, I really believe in social entrepreneurship. So I really believe that changing the world, the best way to change the world is through meaningful companies where purpose is stronger than the profit, yet they're also profitable companies, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. To me, this is really important because in this NGO world, there is so much purpose, but not always as much like this goal orientation in a way. And then in business, too often is a little bit too much of the opposite. <laughs> so to me, it was very valuable. And I would, I would advise anyone to, first of all, to really figure out also the mindset of some sort of corporate or business. I think if our background is NGO and we want to go more into training, skills of informal learning and experiential learning and like engagement in training they come easy but the goal orientation that's the crucial really important bit and then also the the business mindset of things and what why is this training needed what is it serving how is it creating a change and a difference how is that difference meaningful is it sometimes uh, so i think <laughs> this is really what what in ngo world is a little bit you feel that there is no that experience sometimes um, like when talking to people and talking into approach of training and so on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what you mentioned, it, it's it's quite quite uh, quite true, and I would say that uh, many many trainers just love what they do, but then the business side, it's it's a little bit uh, <coughs> uh, kind of uh, missed, especially if you are mostly in the NGO um, sphere or NGO sector there. So for sure, I, I understand uh, your point of view quite well. <laughs> yeah, and it's not about just about profit or being focused on how is training paid or money or anything like that, about building your own business. I'm not even talking about that, but really about the making training purposeful and making it really serve the goal and not just being, don't get me wrong, I'm first one to be in love with my content <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, but just having that awareness that, Training should be a tool towards something bigger and not the purpose in itself, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Should should trigger the change. 
And one other thing that you mentioned before was that you have experience with, or you have a background with positive psychology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wonder, can you describe to us what is a positive psychology, more like the definition, and how how do you how do you f- see for yourself positive psychology, or maybe if you don't like the definition, you can just say how can you describe to uh, grandma what is a positive psychology? Sure. So. Well, psychology, it's sort of a branch of psychology, so kind of a subset of, of psychology, which really focuses on uh, trying to look for what do we want to grow and empower and what's positive and what can we strengthen. And the way it was formed is it was in 1998 by Martin Seligman, who was at that time one of the leaders of one of the strong associations in psychology, who opened one of the big conferences saying that he looked into a um, database of articles, like uh, psychology articles, for articles about depression, and he got like 300,000 hits. And then he looked for research on happiness, and he got like five hits. And he said, that's not balance, dear colleagues. So his idea was that within psychology, we should start focusing more and more also to what is good in life, and not just what are the problems we want to fix, but also what are the things we want to empower and grow and have more of. So that's kind of the core concept of positive psychology, not to look only into positive, but to balance that out more, to kind of within psychology to look more also into this side. What that means specifically, it means that we are focusing on topics such as well-being, high performance as well, flourishing. So flourishing would be something like fulfilling the highest potential, um, living meaningful life, uh, looking into our strengths and how can we leverage them more within organizations, looking into strengths and how can we strengthen organization by leveraging those strengths more versus focusing more on fixing problems. It's kind of an approach where we say that for something to grow like a plant, you need to, of course, remove some of the obstacles such as weed or, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah, but, but primarily you need to water it and allow it sun and nourish it to grow in a way. And then the weeds will be much less of a problem. So that's mm-hmm. kind of a similar approach looking into, you could say that most of psychology looks into averaging people and post psychology looks into, okay, what are the stronger sides? What can we learn from maybe stronger examples um, and stronger um, situations when something played out? So apart from well-being, some of the topics are all for resilience. Why do some people deal with challenges really well? How can we all learn to deal with challenges really well? Then also engagement. Why some people enjoy life a lot. Mindfulness. Such I a suppose pre- grit as well. Things like that. Which one? Grit. Ah, grit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And gratitude as well. And yeah, perseverance. Yeah, grit. Kind of like perseverance. Yeah, growth mindset as well. This idea that we perceive our life as it has potential to grow and our skills as they have potential to grow and not just that they're whatever they are at the moment so yeah a lot of uh a lot of yeah yeah Yeah. actually i'm kind of very curious because what you mentioned that kind of it seems that we are more focusing on the issues or at least in the past uh, rather than on the on the opportunities and I just wonder, related to the positive psychology, how, how did you learn about it? Did you Google 
how how can I find my potential? Or is it like somebody who introduced you to this concept? Was it you in, in the Netherlands? It all started with traveling. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Already. Always is. Always is. But in 2009, I'll go back to travel. I'll go back to travel. In 2009, I went to Australia for sort of a solo trip. It was like a really big trip. Um, and I went for sailing there on this most beautiful place in the world. It's called Whit Sunday Islands. It's like uh -huh. super gorgeous. Highly recommended to go check it out. And it was four days sailing trip. And I was terrible nerd. I fell in love with the book there and spent two out of those four days just reading a book and finished it in two days. <laughs> oh, come on. It was, book, it was a book by a British lady who brought it accidentally and gave it to me to read because she had something smarter to do, obviously, in that location. Uh, and the book was called Flow by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. It's one of the kind of biggest names in positive psychology. And flow today is still one of my favorite concepts in positive psychology. Like I wrote my master thesis on, on applied positive psychology on the topic of training for flow <laughs> and ways of training for flow. And I'm doing courses now on flow. It's really still one of my favorite topics. But that was the first one I discovered and that led me to kind of dig in deeper and look for more. And then I started putting more and more positive psychology tools and concepts into other trainings I, would do, I was doing, you know, like, I don't know, the working on something with um, presentation skills. Okay, how can you think of your strengths and how they play into presentation skills or this kind of, you know, just using the tools and so on. And then I realized that also positive psychology is an answer, partially an answer to one of the dilemmas that was always bugging me with training and that soft skills are soft. You can't measure them. You can't, you know, it's not engineering. It's not ones and zeros. You can't put it in place the way that is super predictable. Um, and I always miss that in training to have a little bit more metrics-driven, evidence-driven, science-driven approach, you know, and practical. Like the, I was craving for this kind of practicality. Uh, but also practical from sense that it has some data behind. And positive psychology was a really good toolbox and resource for that, to give a bit more data to models and to, to ideas and the ways of thinking. Um, so engineering me was actually drawn to bringing in more science in the trainings I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then at the time, I just also started calling it for what it is and doing really these topics as the, the training topics. Nice. Sounds really awesome what you, what you share that even the traveling, some, the traveling most of the times teaches a lot about ourselves and opens opportunities for us, right? Yeah, right. So random in a way. And you, you yeah. travel back to a random trip and random book and then you so so, the, so you got, you kind of got the book and then it, this is kind of how you got started in the whole positive psychology and then you ended up doing the masters and everything. It's, it's, do you trace back to that trip? Really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So from that wow. book, I started reading a really bookworm. So I started reading a lot of other books and looking for all possible podcasts, Coursera's, everything I could find. And then when there was nothing else left to find, then I went to the masters, uh, which was kind of a mix of having a motorbike crash. So having to stay at home in bed with a broken leg for six weeks, I was like, this is time to start studying again. <laughs> no. So that was that was that was this trigger event, but it was also Masters was also this next step when I felt like there is not more left to explore and I wanted to learn more and deeper and like I was more and more passionate about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely it's direct connection with that single book for sure. What is flow? 
<laughs> what is the plus this state of being really engaged in what you're doing you can call it like blissful immersion or you would call it in the zone as well so it's this idea that when you're doing something you really care about and you have some goal in that activity so it's not like watching television but it's really like something goal oriented um it's that sense of really being immersed in it really focused really mindful and present in the moment and kind of building your skill while progressing towards that goal. And for most of us, it most happens in sports <laughs> or in music, in creating music, for example, or playing music, uh, sometimes in reading maybe, or writing or these kind of activities. But it's okay. very often that it happens a lot in hobbies and in leisure, while at the same time, actually work is an ideal place for more flow. Um, and mm-hmm. one of the kind of something that I would like to also bridge more is to connect flow more with these, you know, activities that we experience as work, like kind of, you know, tough thing to do or boring thing to do. And actually, it's a really good place to build that sense of engagement and immersion and really enjoying what we are doing, feeling purposeful um, in building something up. Mm-hmm. Maybe just a devil's advocate question. Uh, is positive psychology really positive? Like, in a sense, like, I don't know, like, when I hear, I mean, I'm a kind of bit of a septic, maybe this kind of scientific background, but when I hear about, you know, all this motivation thing and all this, you know, all these nice things, they, it sounds very nice and beautiful and clean, but, like, isn't that too much sometimes? Like, <laughs> like, would that, that, like, is that all this positivity and all this focus on on goals and everything, will it make you better, really? Or, or it's just a bunch of nonsense? I think it's a mix. <laughs> no, really. I think there is definitely space where it becomes too fluffy. And I think that's about what, which part are we focusing on. Uh, for me, like always, if I, if I do a workshop on a vision, you know, on our goals or on something like that, for me, it's not about what your goal is or what your vision is. For me, it's about what your vision does to you, you know? What kind of life are you living? What kind of motivation are you having? In which state do you wake up? How does your workday look like because of the vision you're striving for? And and the vision or the goal or the, the thing I'm focusing on, the way, what I want out of it is to pull the best out of me, to, to provoke me to live my best life in a way, right? So I don't want it to be the most beautiful, fluffy vision in the world. And I look at it on my wall every day. No, I want it to make I want it to make me feel alive. I want it to drive me in a way. And I think for some people, maybe it works better to create that to some sort of pressure or pain. For me personally, it works better to create it by dream. Um, and I think in general, uh, one thing where we sometimes in life downplay a little bit is not dreaming enough and big enough and, and meaningful enough in a way. So for me, I definitely see that aspect of striving for something, you know, um, there is this saying, it's a bit mm-hmm. optimistic as well, but like strive for the moon and worst case you will land between the stars, you know that one, something like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, so sure. I think it's about that. It's not about creating perfect life or, you know, having everything very much, you know, positive and, and sparkly and aligned. It's about like striving for, you know, to fulfill our potential to not settle. And for me, that's back to that intentionality that I said I want. I would want to have invest and I would want to have it in life. Just that awareness of what kind of life do I want to live? Do I want to live grumpy life every day? No. <laughs> do I want to live it with a big smile and just not thinking about any problems ever? 
no, that doesn't sound very meaningful, <laughs> but I do want to live it in a way that I have meaningful vision, meaningful goals, that I fulfill my potential in some way, right? Or that I'm working on something meaningful and trying to fulfill my potential in a way. Okay. Okay. All right. There you go. Maybe just, uh, I'm not sure how personal we're going, but if you can define what meaningful means uh, to you, Mirna, in terms for a goal. Do you have any kind of criteria that uh, you use to, to define that the goal is meaningful or some kind of a tool to assess if this is the right goal for you at this particular moment? Yeah, for me, it's a lot about feeling. Do, do things feel meaningful? Does the goal feel meaningful? Does my life feel meaningful? But if I would relate it and measure it according to something, I would measure it according to my values and according to my identity. So I would be like, you know, having values that I have, uh, is this goal like aligned with that? And also believing that I want to be the person that I want to be or the person that I am, is that is this goal aligned with that? Is this goal going to support me to be more of that person? Or like looking also into the future and right now, or is it going to diminish that in a way and take me somewhere else? But how, do you, how do you even know what your values yeah, that's a bit of a, you know, it's also, <laughs> that's, that's something to, you know, you can, you can try start digging into them very easily. And there are a lot of like websites and tools to, to look into that. Um, but it's really about asking what is the most important to you, right? So what is really, really important to me in life? And you can go through that in self-reflection or in coaching or through different connected tools. But it's about asking that question, why, many, many times. Why am I doing this? Why is this important to me? What in this is the most important for me? Like, what is driving me? And, and then the first answers that you get, like, for example, what is important to me? Travel. Okay, why? <laughs> no. And you ask a lot of these why until you come to some kind of core things that in some way are um, driving you and pushing you forward, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so 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 you mentioned there are some, I mean, for, even for a bunch of these contexts and a bunch of the positive psychology things that you try to put in place. You mentioned there are some tools, there are some concepts, there are some methodologies that I guess you try to apply. Um, maybe maybe we can talk a bit more specifically on the two things that you are doing these days. I guess that you spend most of the time on so Happiness Academy and Trainer Toolbox. Maybe you can tell us a bit how you got started with those those two initiatives or those two companies or projects of yours, and and yeah, what what uh, what are you trying to do with them? And what do you see? How do you see about them them in the future? Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. Except the future part because I'm not sure, and I keep the right to change my mind. But <laughs> let's start and see. talk about the past. No, talk yeah. about the future. <laughs> So, uh, so I can talk about now, maybe. Yeah, uh, talk about now. As well. So I started with Happiness Academy in 2000, oh my God, 14, 15? Okay. Unofficially 14, officially 15, uh, which was really on one of Train Advanced Trainers, again, back to travel and events, <laughs> on, on Train Advanced Trainers in Vilnius, which is like event for, for trainers, right, who, who already have some experience. And uh, there were a couple of uh, 
persons there, three specifically, who had a bit of background in psychology and who had quite an interest in positive psychology. And I just started talking with them a lot and wanted to develop a course, an online course in, in longer duration with four modules with this idea that I really want to have people have chance to train for different skills and explore different aspects and to have time to embed that in their own life. And that was a course I was designing literally for like six months with them discussing a bit on that event and then later still developing it a lot. And that course today, it's still a course on Happiness Academy. It's called 12 Steps to Happiness. But initially, I launched that course under the name and brand of Happiness Academy. And the only thing that was there was that one single course. And from there, it grew into many different uh, directions. This was part one of a two-series podcast with Mirna. Stay tuned for part two.